Welcome back, or welcome front, if it's the first time joining us. This is the Adventure Game Hotspot Podcast, and today we're going to be talking about if and why adventure games have been dumbed down. And to do so, as always, we have Jack, and we also have Tom. But before we introduce Tom, Jack, tell us what's happened this week at the Hotspot. Um, I mean, it wasn't the sort of the most... Um, sort of sexiest week for new releases, but there were some some interesting releases. There's a sort of first-person sci-fi game called Titan Station, mm-hmm. and of course, any space station uh, you know is going to have gone disastrously wrong, so you have to wander around and figure out what's happening there. The uh, co-founder of Play Dead has released a very limbo or inside-esque new puzzle platformer called Somerville. There's a really interesting uh, auto mystery game for uh, mobile devices called Evidence 111. It has like a really impressive voice cast, including Rosamund Pike. So, so yeah, there's a little something for everything. We announced a few new games. There's a new uh, live-action FMV game from Wales called the Isle Tide Hotel. And there's a co-op game, if you've got a friend that likes to play with you, called Sherlock and Watson, A Study in Scarlet. That's out in early access. It's not finished yet, but uh, but it is available now if you want. And uh, content-wise, we had a good week, too. We had uh, reviews of uh, narrative adventure with not much gameplay, which I think we'll end up talking about later <laughs> on, uh, called As Dust Falls. And there's a very... Um, Day of the Tentacle-like uh, adventure called Justin Whack and the Big Time Hack. And then there was a really sterling review of uh, a debut adventure by some guy named Tom Hardwich called uh, Lucy Dreaming. Yeah, you're, you're very, very kind in that, in that review. That was, that's, that's, go, that's going on my wall. <laughs> hey, we, don't, we aren't generous. We just call it like we see it, so, you know... Oh, you, I, you earned I, what you I, got. I very much appreciated. Thank you. It was a really, I know we're going to get onto this later, but it was a really interesting review to read. Like, And obviously I'm going to find it interesting because it said how lovely my game was. Yeah, praise um, me, praise it, me. It made some really interesting points as well, which have, I've been, I've kind of seen a lot of the other side of in some of the other reviews. And then actually seeing that it was it was quite nice. It sort of rebuked some of the points that are sort of made. I don't know. If, I don't know if that was consciously done or. But there have been there have been other reviews of of, of of kind of my game, which have had a very different kind of take on it. Really. And it kind of yeah yeah. And it it was it was it was nice and kind of leveling to see, kind of the other side of the story and what I kind of what I believe. Obviously, I've put it out there thinking I quite like these things in it. Um, and it was it was nice to kind of see that sort of reflected back. So it was, it was, it was, it was good. Yeah, well, I mean, we certainly weren't trying to counterbalance anything else, but we try to be thorough and you know as objective as any review can be. Um, but so and Jack said know. it. You know, there's there's a few that we haven't necessarily you know said it's a good game. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I've got a review coming out that I I I'm not. I mean, I'm not the meanest but i'm also not the kindest you know you're yours rated top drawer i would have never known that this was your first game so yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and uh give maybe give two or three minutes to talk about you and uh and your quick adventure into adventuring that's dangerous because i i talk a lot so okay we'll, we'll talk a little bit more as the, as it progresses too you know, okay so. Mm-hmm. um so i won't give you kind of full sort of potted history but essentially i started doing this during kind of the UK COVID lockdown, mm-hmm. essentially, um, I'd 
sort of played about with making little games, little sort of puzzle games and things in Flash. Uh, back here, I used to sort of do quite a lot of work for advertising agencies. Mm -hmm. um, so lots of little things like that. Um, and this is, I've always wanted to make an adventure game. I've always loved point and click adventures, adventures when I was growing up in the 90s. Um, so when I had a bit of free time on my hands during COVID, uh, just, you know, work sort of dried up a little bit. So decided to kind of give it a, give it a go. Um, long story short, I kind of ended up suddenly discovering that there are an awful lot of other people who are already doing this and I, who I had no idea. I had no idea that indie dev was even a thing. I had no idea that there was a kind of community there of people already making games, that there were engines available that would make life so much easier for me. Um, so it was a really steep learning curve, um, sort of diving straight in with that. And I've got a kind of design background, so I'm basically taking on everything. I've got a, a design and a sort of web dev background. So mm -hmm. coding I'm quite familiar with, graphics I'm quite familiar with. So putting that together and creating a game, I've, I've got a fair amount of transferable skills from pretty much sort of my previous career to do that with. Um, but obviously have never actually designed puzzles or written, I mean, I've not written a story since I was in school. So I mean, this, you're talking like sort of 30, 25, 30 years ago was the last time I actually like sat down and like wrote a story. Um, so yeah, so I've kind of had to sort of struggle with that um, and kind of wondering, is it, is it any good? What's, you know, what are people going to think of the ending? You know, are people going to care? You know, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's that's what's been one of the things that's been really nice is that actually, that even when the feed when the feed after we've released, when the feedbacks come back, even if it's kind of negative feedback, it's always been constructive and it said you know, and it's shown me just how much people genuinely care. Like mm -hmm. like about especially about the ending, there are things like oh, actually, I, I don't think you should have done that to the main character, or I don't think you should have done this or that. And it was it was. Like oh wow, people actually re really really care about the characters I've created. That, you know, I was, you know, I, I that was something I wasn't really kind of prepared for. I was just expecting it to be a you know a consumable. Someone would you know they play it, they'd have a bit of fun, they'd have a few laughs, they put it down and, and play something else. But actually, it was it's it seems to have really kind of stuck with people. So that's been it's but yeah, a complete roller coaster learning curve like this, um, and yeah, that's. And there they are yeah, in the background. Yeah, I'm not going into much detail about the game itself, but that's pretty much that's sort of my sort of journey in a nutshell over the last couple of years. Well, can you show us what the game looks like? Yeah. I, I love the cassette aspect that you have there. Got, yeah. it, it looks I've really got, cool. Got, no. Yeah, this is looks like it's strategically placed. Uh huh. Merch. This is strategically placed merchandise. Right, you are a marketer. You just said that you were in <laughs> advertising. Moment. I am just surrounded by all the Kickstarter rewards. So I have got like envelopes and jiffy bags and bubble wrap and just just, just shit everywhere that <laughs> I've just got to try and get in boxes. And that's why I was doing literally just, just now. So I've got, I've got paper cuts all over there and I've got my mouth tastes like sticky tape. And I've just been like, put, like putting all the kind of rewards in these together for the kicks from the Kickstarter that we ran last year, 18 months ago, oh, some more than that, last May. Uh, but yeah, we've got, we've got our, our big big boxes. Got lots of lots of weighty stuff in it. Um, so yeah, and it's got, we've got that there, and then we've got each one of those has got to 
like a, a USB drive. That's cool. Uh, that's as well. That's, that's not very cool. cool. So they got so each one's got like a little so it has a little cassette like that and then that's got a little pen drive that comes out. How neat. So let me just ask you a quick question, then we'll we'll move on. Were you expecting the cost of shipping to be so high? I mean, I imagine every time you said something now, it's like, woo, that's a little bit higher than it was a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, obviously, I mean, since kind of like Brexit kind of kicked in as well. Mm-hmm. So we, so even all the, all, there's a cost to the US. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's gone up as well. Cost mm-hmm. to Europe has gone up considerably since, mm-hmm. you know, since we first kind of started putting costs together. We did know Brexit was on the horizon. So we did kind of building contingency for that. Um, our, our postage and packaging costs that we've got are now ha- all the contingency has been used up. Mm-hmm. So they basically we're not we've not I don't think we've really lost anything on it, but we've certainly not made anything on it, which wasn't the intention anyway. Right. So we kind of but we feel like you know what we don't know what the, what what prices are going to do. So we put kind of we did a kind of rough estimate say like for Europe probably this for like further afield like this, um, and it looks like we were pretty bang on with it so we're not um, we're not rolling in profit um from the shipping uh, well that's that's good news right there (laughs) well when actually this is a, an idea that Jack pitched to me about the the topic that we're discussing today and then when we talked about it we're, we need to get a, a developer someone who has a, a perspective you know a modern developer and first thing that Tom, that uh, Jack said was let's get Tom on Tom can talk so so prove him right <laughs> you like, a favor after that review <laughs> let's get Tom on no. yeah well we appreciate you, you coming on and I'll tell you right now when I'm talking like I have not had an opportunity to play the game yet. Been completely busy, so I don't know if the game, your game, is easy or not. But you could tell us what your thoughts are from a, a dev's perspective. So yes, Jack, why don't you take the lead on this since this is kind of your uh, your baby on it? You want to talk about um, you know just get into the meat of the matter? I thought we would start off with like maybe mm-hmm. talking about Jitter, some of the games that we mm-hmm. played that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe sort of even reflect the the transition from mm-hmm. harder games as they used to be, I believe, to the very easy games they tend to be now. So, mm-hmm. like, maybe go around and everyone, like, is there a game that stands out to you that was, like, really, really difficult but satisfying? And there was, like, was, was there any others that were, like, just too difficult and, you know, were sort of probably part of the reason why games have shifted in the direction they have tom you want to go first yeah uh so from my point of view i i've i kind of jumped straight into game dev having not really played an awful lot of modern adventure games so i i my experience kind of almost kind of begins and ends in the 90s Mm -hmm. um i played a couple of the um telltale games um, like Tales from Monkey Island and mm-hmm. the, like, the Back to the Future series and the Sam and Max ones as well. I don't remember them being particularly hard. I don't remember them getting stuck on them, but they sort of passed the time. I don't, to be honest, I don't really remember much about them. Um, but my my experience was, I mean, I grew up, grew up on um, King's Quest and um, Legend of Larry, um, 
police quest and and I think I, I think I played some of the space quest as well, um, which are hard, you mm-hmm. know, and in a, in a at a time where there's no internet and you know you I, I mean I, I I think I played King's Quest Four for about a year and there was there was like there were like four or five friends you know who would. You know, we'd, we'd go and we'd try different things and we'd like meet up like once a week and then we'd sort of scribble like, now, what, what have you got in your inventory? Right. I've got this, I've got this, and what do you do? Yeah, and you're trying to figure out puzzles. And then when you, when you find, I think we had, I had a friend who'd gone to, um, gone to stay and we'd gone to live in America and he came back and he, he, he'd been playing loads of Sierra games and we kind of said, and he, he'd, he'd apparently he completed King's Quest Four, so we were just tapping him for knowledge the whole time. Um, and he, every time he told us a, you know, something like that. We never would have thought of that. Um, and that seems to be one of the things, so I don't want to kind of get, I don't want to sort of go off on a tangent now, but I, when you were saying about what, kind of where the difficulty comes from, mm-hmm. my sort of perspective, the difficulty has been balancing logic as well. And that's, that is, it seems to be a, almost quite a loose term now. Some people, it's almost like the idea of moon logic has almost mm-hmm. been kind of, weaponized like like people can like you you so you know it's like you can get cancelled for it as soon as someone kind of shouts moon logic in a, in a review about about your game mm-hmm. that's it you know that's like it's like it's a it's a it's a it's a nail in the coffin um hmm. but it's in order to get around that moon if you've got if you've got puzzles which aren't intuitive because they are literally i have a key i'm going in a door it's going in a door i'm opening it up and i'm driving a car and I need to put petrol in or whatever it is that is like people just instinctively know if you're doing something that's slightly more outlandish and set in another world or something like that then you need to put that kind of breadcrumb trail in in or in throughout the puzzles and throughout the narrative in order to make it logical Mm -hmm. but there's a you have to draw the line somewhere and there's a very fine line between giving enough clues so that someone can technically Follow the breadcrumb trail and, can, and can, can logically solve a puzzle without any outside input whatsoever, but not giving them the actual answer. So it's, it's how many, how, how, how obscure you make the, how many, how many little pieces you cut the answer into, and how, how, how you kind of present them is, is, is sort of, is where that sort of balance of kind of logic and like logical and illogical lies. And if it's, if it's obvious to some people and not obvious to others, you can you can sort of it's a, it's a, that's the that's the tricky thing to balance and that's where I think a lot of the a lot of people can kind of sort of fall foul on that is that their idea of what's logical is might well be logical to some people but isn't for others and then if you if you pander to that and you say right well I'm going to make it lo- as logical as I can for the vast majority if not everyone mm-hmm. there are then going to be some people who say well that was too easy because like they just they saw the breadcrumbs they they're veterans of the, the genre and it's going i saw it I, I could see it coming a mile away as soon as i saw that you know right sword, swordfish over there i knew i was gonna have to battle that guy over there and you know, like, you know things like that that seem obscure to someone might seem just obvious if you you know if you're if you know what you're doing um so it's a, it's a very hard line strat and you can't you can't please everyone. Sorry, that was that wasn't. What games have you played? Uh, no, well, that's all right. In fact, I think you said something. Oh, yeah. that I I definitely want to like put a pin in and talk about a little bit later on because I think that's uh, that may be one of the reasons you you said that uh, people are 
afraid of being canceled because uh, reviews will say will say moon logic, and uh, and I can see how that is uh, that is a fear, especially of the industry nowadays. Indie devs, you know, new devs uh, such as such as yourself. That first game says a lot about you know your your future. Is there are the games easier? I, I think it's safe to say yes. Um, it's definitely safe to say yes. Some games. I'll, I'll just use a perfect example of of completely completely easy compared to the past. Return to Monkey Island. If I have a a. Uh, something negative to say about the game it's that it was very easy very i mean obviously as a veteran of, of gameplay you know it's easier to walk through those type of things you've done them before in just different ways and you you know it's it's overly intuitive and there's a i think there's something to to say about having a balance between being too hard and and being being too easy i return to monkey island i did use a hint you know, which also makes it easier, uh, you know? Uh, so, Beyond, uh, Be- Beyond is Still Sky, another example. Way too easy. Like, way too easy. And those are, like, two of the biggest, uh, I'd say, the largest adventure games that I can think of off, you know, the top of my head that's come out over the past year or, or so. So, how about you, Jack? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I-, I think there's absolutely no question that games are getting um, easier as mm-hmm. a general trend. Tom, I think it's kind of interesting that you said you, you, you kind of missed out on the whole, you know, middle period where games started to become easier and your influence was sort of still rooted in the sort of substantial games with actual puzzles and gameplay because that's very much what Lucy Dreaming is. And, and it, it, I think that's one of the reasons it, it got such a good score from us, which is like it felt like such a substantial game and we don't get that anymore um i'm not speaking personally here but you know we did a review of uh the excavation of bob's barrow and i mean a lot of people loved it for its story and stuff but i mean our reviewer was just like well where's the game there's like you know until sort of late on later on it's like there just isn't enough game it's it's too much story and you know i'm i'm editing more and more reviews that you know, talk about how, well, the, there's really no puzzles and blah, 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 but the story is great, and that's fine, you know, but I I think the pendulum has definitely swung a little bit too far. But even though I kind of, you know, it, it's a common term and I've used it myself, I don't like the phrase dumbing down mm-hmm. um, because I kind of wonder if adventure games were really all that smart to begin with. I think this is something that Tom kind of mentioned. Um, You know, the phrase moon logic does sort of represent the kind of quote-unquote intelligence that uh, sort of too many of the older games required of players. And I don't really think it it is smart. It's not smart puzzle design if, you know, you have to reverse engineer a solution to figure out what on earth the developer was thinking mm-hmm. of, you know, to arrive at that. So you end up just trying every, everything on everything, or you call up a, you know, a hotline in the early days of, you know, Sierra and stuff. And, you know, I, I think games were made artificially difficult with, you know, pixel hunting and, mm-hmm. and again, moon logic and stuff like that. So, like, games have gotten 
easier for sure, but I think that was an evolution that in a way needed to happen. I'd like to see games actually get smarter, not easier. You know what I mean? I don't want them dumber and easier. I want them smarter and easier, if, if you understand. Yeah. Well, how, why is that, though? Let, let's talk about that for a second. Why do you think it went that way? I mean, because clearly it's it's not just something that uh, we've all known. It's, it's clearly something that the entire genre decided that it needs to be there. So... Why, why is that? Thoughts? <laughs> I think uh, game, games have been have, have become much more transient. In terms, so you know, it's, it's a it's a much more fast moving industry than it was. You know, before you you'd wait however however long you know year or more for the kind of the next Sierra game to kind of come out, and you'd spend months playing it, and mm-hmm. the the studios could sort of rest assured that it would, you know, it would have that longevity to it. Now you don't, you know, with the internet and, and with people just being able to kind of talk instantly kind of around the world, you know, you, it's very easy to, if you, you know, if you get stuck it, on, a, on an adventure game, it's very, very easy to find the solution and to, to just not be stuck anymore. And I know people, you know, now, now, now when people say, well, how long is the game? And oh, well, it's, five or six hours or, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, well, you know, if you'd asked me how long any of the games I played were when I, you know, they, were, they, they lasted for months. And now I don't know how long I spent <clears throat> playing on them. And obviously I was younger at the time, but mm-hmm. you didn't, if you got stuck, you, you you went to bed and you maybe came back to it the next week and you went, oh, you know, I'll try a few more things and, you know, I'll think about it. And and that was that was it. And because the in, because studios and developers don't have that luxury of time anymore it's i don't know they maybe the games have to be have they almost have they have to be easier so that you can play them quickly without having to look up a solution you know it's very it's so easy now i mean i've 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 had, I've had in the kind of you know people kind of feedback that i've had and in kind of reviews and things there's a whole spectrum people who said like I got stuck and I loved it and it gave me that sense of, you know, that kind of that in sort of dopamine rush of like, oh my God, I've actually, you know, you know, I feel like I've, I've actually achieved something and, and it gave me, you know, that, that almost, it was almost nostalgic for people mm-hmm. because like they hadn't felt that, that kind of difficulty and then that sort of self-satisfaction of being able to kind of solve a puzzle in that way for, mm-hmm. for so long. And then there were other people who, who kind of said, well, I got stuck a bit. I had to use a walkthrough a couple of times. I had to use hints and there. You know, there were other, you know, other people just went, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was really easy. And there's, there's a, there's a kind of huge spectrum on there. But I mean, within a few hours of us releasing the game, there were full playthroughs, walkthroughs, let's plays on, you know, on YouTube anyway. So anyone who wanted to find mm-hmm. anything else about, it, I mean, I think the last, the, the last people who actually were able to kind of play it without that luxury with the people testing it mm-hmm. you know for me because because there was nothing you know there's nothing kind of publicly out there and there were kind of a few of them were sort of um i had i had a kind of discord um channel with with, you know, with all the testers in um and they were kind of sharing a few sort of bits amongst themselves but quite often i'd get i sort of wake up in the morning and i'd have you know like a, a message saying i've got stuck what you know i don't know what to do and then i you know by the time i sort of got to it 10 minutes later there'd be another one there saying Oh, no, so I've got it. I found it. Brilliant, you know. And it's and it, and those are the those are the puzzles that people enjoyed the most and remembered the most. 
Um, but I think a lot of people are going to miss out on that because they, it's it's so quick and easy just to to go on and go, you know what, I, I, I haven't got the time, I haven't got the patience to, to do this. I've got so many other games in my library now. Mm-hmm. It's not like I've got one game, but, you know, I'm playing this, so I'm going to play it solidly. So I've, I've got another 20 games, and if, if this one's getting, getting me stuck, I'll, I'll move on to another one, I'll play that hmm. one, I'll come back to it later. You might never come back to it. So it's, good. it's, it's, That's a, a, good point. it's a real pressure to make a game that people want to come back to and don't feel frustrated by. Um, and I think that's one of the driving forces behind making them easier because if you make it smooth and make it easy people will complete it mm-hmm. and then they'll write their review and then they'll and, and and that sort of feeds into the kind of you know the steam algorithm or whatever and, and that kind of helps as soon as you make a something in the game which is a barrier some people are going to love it but others are it's going to it is going to be exactly that it's going to be a barrier and it's going to mean that your game doesn't get completed you don't get the reviews you don't necessarily get the good times and, and things especially related to it it's a real it's a real tightrope why do you think, Jack? Do you do you have an opinion on that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> do I have an opinion? How long? <laughs> That's you your mean? job um, is to have opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, what do you mean? Is do I have an opinion I can condense into a podcast length to answer? Um, yeah, certainly people's shortening attention spans are mm-hmm. a, a realistic <laughs> factor. It's 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 a shame that they have become so disposable, but. Uh, you know, because I remember the days of spending like a hundred hours playing a, you know, RPG on my Super Nintendo and stuff, and I was just like happy as a clam way back mm-hmm. then. And now it's like, you know, I will literally choose which game I can sneak in by its length. You know, it's like, oh, a ten-hour game, not too long. You know, is there a two-hour game I can play? You know, so it's a reality. But uh, to go back to my last answer, I think part of the evolution towards ease i guess is the fact that gamers kind of got like smarter and went you know what these are not smart puzzles we're being asked to answer they're sort of artificially difficult ones um i think of that very famous old man murray article about gabriel knight 3 killed the adventure genre and people take that article way too literally it was never about Mm-hmm. just Gabriel Knight 3, and it's one particular it's a symbolism, know, cat, yeah. cat mm-hmm. mustache puzzle. It was a ridiculous puzzle, but that was just emblematic of what adventure games were doing at the time. There was moon logic, and, you know, there were, you know, just incredibly silly things that gamers were being asked to do, and people went, you know what, we're, we're kind of tired of this. So Gabriel Knight 3 alone wasn't, responsible for the death of the genre but certainly enough of that kind of experience contributed to people going we've had enough like give us something that at least makes sense i think there's like there's still a thirst for good puzzles like um you know the portal games i often rave about them or uh braid um very very challenging puzzle game but you know tremendous response so i think there's a thirst for smart puzzles, but not silly puzzles. So, you know, I think moving away from the kinds of puzzles that used to really stump people is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I just think we went kind of too far and we missed, we missed the lesson to be learned from it. It's like, don't remove the puzzles, Mm -hmm. just, you know, more clever. Um, And just, I think the one other thing is that you know developers kind of went you know what there's a market for games that 
don't have a lot of puzzles. And I think that's really appealing for a developer. Because when you think about it, a story and puzzles are pretty much antithetical elements in a game. Good word. The whole purpose of a story is to have a a flow through, you know, just Mm -hmm. to keep things moving. And the entire purpose of a puzzle is to, you know, throw up an interruption. So, like, they're kind of always at odds. So um, it's, like, probably, I think, the hardest thing for a developer to do well is to find a way to integrate those two things. So I think more and more developers just kind of went, hey, if we don't have to integrate them, if people will still buy our games, if we just leave the puzzles out, let's do that. <laughs> That's a whole lot easier than, when you I was, know, I just, to, just think back and forth. Um, I was at a, a Adventure X a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was a, a talk by um, Dave Gilbert there mm. who um, was talking about how he just kind of put the narrative together in, in, in his in some of his earlier games. He said he kind of, during COVID, he'd sort of forgotten this and he had to go back and kind of look through his old notebooks and kind of see how, how his process had worked. And it was it was very, very similar to my own, which was he didn't kind of worry too much about the overarching narrative he just had some really nice ideas for puzzles and little mini stories in there. And hmm. then he kind of put them all in and then go, right, well, what connects these up? How can I thread a, a story through these and, and kind of then make it all work? And that's exactly what I did as well. So I, I didn't come, and I think a lot, of, a lot of devs and a lot of writers as well will come to producing a game because they've got a spectacular story and they've got a really good story that they want to say. And that's why you get a lot of, you can get a lot of, um, adventure games which have a lot of dialogue and a lot of story and a lot of kind of um, sort of you know exposition dumps in that you know they kind of just go this this is this is like, it's like you know they are like you know interactive fiction yeah. um, because that's the that was the primary goal of it is like we've got a story to tell that's what we want and we want to make a game so let's stick a few puzzles we can we can maybe get a bit bit of kind of character development that we we reveal as we go along. But really, the puzzles, like you said, they're in there as, as a, as a barrier to you know just to make it interactive. Whereas, when I came to this, I wanted to make a game, and I had some cool ideas for some puzzles, and then I kind of made a story fit that. So my, I didn't have a, a kind of a, a like a, a story that I really really wanted to tell, and, and my kind of creative vision that I needed to kind of express myself with. I just wanted to make something that was fun. So when testers or anyone, you know, whoever, you know, came back to me after playing it and just went, I don't really get this or this, you know, what this is like, fine, it comes out. It's, I'm not precious about it because I, my goal here isn't to tell my story. My goal is to make a game that people want to enjoy. So it, it was, that was a much more collaborative thing with my kind of testers. I mean, luckily, most of the things I put in, they kind of liked. It wasn't like I completely redid everything, but mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared to do that. And I think maybe that's, where that maybe that's where the you get the kind of the very story heavy um games kind of come are born out of that they're born out of a a, a singular beautiful story idea and then that's gamified rather than i want to make a game and let's then add a cool story that kind of does it all together and i think if you i think you probably go the other way as well but i was sort of in the middle there and that, that formula seems to have worked and obviously works for dave gilbert as well um, so I was, I, that was really reassuring because I mean I was there kind of going, my God, is this even 
can I repeat this? Is this, you know, is this, is this a valid workflow? Can I, can I do this again? Did I mm-hmm. just get lucky? But on kind of hearing him sort of talk about it in that way, it's a bit, actually that's, it's, that's just the way my brain works. And that's my approach to it. It's the same thing. Is he at- I, I mean, from an artist's perspective, I mean, of course, I my art comes from like the music, but so it's kind of you know you're you're reliant on people liking what you're putting out, you know. It, I don't believe that you, that we should make something with a fear of getting a bad review, uh, that type of a thing. And you mentioned, you know, if you, somebody says Moon Logic, that could tank you. I mean, maybe that's uh, one of the reasons why you know you, you have that fear in putting in the art. So we've established the fact that it, it is easier. Okay, we talked a little bit about why. Do you think it's it's valid? Do you think it's uh, it's gone too far? And this is Jack's question. I just stole it. Do I think it's gone too far? I don't. I think the fear has. I think. I think having talked talked to a lot of other developers. Mm-hmm. There is definitely a fear of like, what if my puzzle is illogical? And you can't. It's not something. It's very. It's very difficult to test logic yourself because you have the burden of knowledge. You know where the where the puzzle came from. You know. You know that you have to go there and do that and do. It. And that's why it needs. You need external testers for it. Um, but logic is is a a subjective thing mm-hmm. as well. What is you know? Yes, there are there are some things that are moon logic to you wherever you know whoever you are wherever you come from that doesn't make sense um but there are things it, it is a sliding scale it depends on your background your age i mean there are some there are going to be some puzzles that maybe require you to just know what an object is or how to you know how that object is used in real life and not everyone's going to go and go oh i don't know what that object is i'm going to go look it up online um and then i go oh right and now i have the context and so that unless you explain it that that is moon logic, cultural thing. So I mean, you know, my my game is very British. There's very British. I've I've had to make. I mean, there there's there's one bit in it which was a you have to turn like a socket on and off, and then at that point, so I've had to put a thing in there where where the main character will say, oh, almost like a kind of fourth wall break. So, oh, by the way, um, in Britain we have switches on our sockets just in case you want to turn them on and off, like in case you need to know. You know, because someone was saying, to me, "Oh, you know, in you know, in America, you don't have um, switches to turn them off." And I was like, really? "Oh no, I suppose you don't, do you?" And it's like, but it's like it, we do. They're on there everywhere. It's like it's regulation. You can't not have them. Maybe we've, uh, you know, we've always had them. Um, so it's um, yeah, things like that. It could just be a cultural thing, and you can very easily then be be sort of like I say cancelled for that because you know someone someone somewhere doesn't doesn't think it's. It's logic. I can't remember what the question was. I just fell off again. No, no, so. you answered. Uh, you answered it in regards to the moon logic. So he, I mean, he lacked it from the fear aspect. So Jack, as the reviewer, the some someone who is in the industry and has been for twenty years, has seen the development, seen the the change. Is it something that you think, as a whole, it's gone too far? Yeah, I I do think it has. I mean. You know, obviously there are still exceptions, mm-hmm. um, you know, every year. But as a general rule, the sort of the percentage of games that could... I'll tell you what, like, it probably took me 15 years of playing adventure games to play my first one without using a walkthrough. And now I can, you know, pretty much do it with every game that I play. So 
like if I can get through a game without a walkthrough, you know, it's it's a lot easier. But because uh, I am not good at adventure game puzzles. Um, but like having said that, I like the diversity too, and not the, like not every there shouldn't be one formula for for you know every game. Um, the the amount of puzzles and gameplay should fit the story that you're trying to tell. Like obviously The Walking Dead, one of the games which really contributed to the sort of quote unquote dumbing down of the genre, like really suited the gameplay like formula. I mean you're 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 living in a world of undead with strangers with different dynamics. So you want a character drama with a little bit of danger. It wouldn't make sense to have a ton of puzzles in a story like that. So, you know, and, and any artist should should tailor the gameplay to the story that they're trying to tell. But I would like to see developers be a little bit braver about reintroducing puzzles because I think there is still an audience for that. But, you know, they just need to make them smarter. Don't uh, Don't make them... Don't make them art artificially difficult with with pixel hunting. You know the sorts of things that you know used to you know make us take three months to finish a game, kind of thing. Um, so it can be done, but it's just really really difficult. So, but that's the challenge. And maybe I'm you know grandpa get off my lawn type of type of guy, but I think it's gone way too far. Uh, completely, completely too far. If I wanted to read a book I'll read a book if I want to watch a movie I'll, I'll watch a movie you know it, it's the interactivity is in, in many many games is all but gone yeah and it, the most easy way of knowing that it's something that they're actively trying to do for whatever reason it may be is like whenever a remaster comes out and every game every big game gets a remaster it's not a matter of just uh, okay. I'm going to make this look better. I'm going to clean up some uh, some music a little bit. Clean up some graphics. No, they take away things that were difficult. Like you know, they take deaths out, or you know, all of these type of things that uh, allegedly people complained about. I want to be. I want to have a little bit of a challenge, especially if I'm going to be paying a decent amount of cash. I don't want to play a game that's over six hours. You, you know, I mean, of course, it varies depending on how much I'm, I'm going to pay, but I want a little bit of a, of a challenge. I want puzzles because that's what I view an adventure game as. That's my perspective is I want to be challenged. I want to have a puzzle in my game. And perhaps it's just gone so far to where, you know, we've or I have lost sight of what the modern adventure is that uh, maybe I'm just overlooking it. But I think that uh, that I would like to see it kind of go back a little bit. So how can it go back? Well, like what's some ways to keep it relatively simple, but make a challenge, bring the challenge back? I wonder whether we need some kind of traffic light system or something. Because you know, like, like Jack was saying, they, easy games are valid for a lot of reasons. They, mm -hmm. they have different weighting. They are... Maybe the puzzles aren't relevant to the story. Maybe the you know the story itself is, it, you know, it's an interactive fiction. That is the primary kind of goal is to, is to tell a story, or maybe they are just aimed at, you know, younger players. So I mean, I've I've played um, Return to Monkey Island with my eight year old, 
We still haven't completed it yet. Not because it's hard, but just because he just spends the whole time just running around Melee Island, just not, just <laughs> not really doing anything. Um, but we also played Lost in Play, which is, as far I know, is is a st- it's a beautiful game, and to play it with a a young child is just magical because it's just, they it's absolutely it's absolutely perfect if you are a you know a seasoned adventure game player you are not going to get you know a, a, you know you're not going to get your money's worth from it because it is not that long um it is lots of little sort of mini games with a, some very kind of simple um point and click sort of puzzle stuff in in between um but if you are a young child who wants to interact with their saturday morning cartoon it's absolutely perfect mm. so you are it's it's I don't think it's necessary that we need to say they are though you know those are wrong they because they're not hard enough therefore they're not adventure games they they are adventure games is a much broader category now than it ever was but it's a it, we almost see like I feel like going going out when like having released a game it'd be really nice to be able to say look here's here, a bit like um you get on food packaging so like, this is my game this is this is how I've self read you know this is the age rating I'd say it is this is the difficulty rating I'd say it is this is how Brilliant. many puzzles to it, so that it gets reviewed like based on what I'm telling you it's got so rather than someone going well I like I like puzzle platformers what's this shit you know it, like it's like no no it was never supposed to be that so it's it, you know it might it, it is the game that I've created is very much based on games I played in the nineties. Some people absolutely love that. Some people, it's not what they grew up with, and it's not what they would expect, and it's not it's not what they like. Um, I mean, like I say, younger players would probably just it wouldn't it, they just they get frustrated and they go, no, it's it's not mm-hmm. you know it's not for me. Um, so I I kind of go I don't sort of necessarily feel that everything needs to be to kind of return back to the way it was, despite the fact that that's what I personally like playing. Um, but I do feel like there should be having having been on you know you know being on the receiving end of reviews, good and bad, mostly good, but some ba- you know based on sort of misunderstandings of what the game was supposed supposed to be and who it was supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. And I go, well, I played this game and it was I really hate this kind of thing. It's like, well, it does say that on the, you know what I mean? It's like you can't it like if you don't if you don't like that kind of humor or you don't like that kind of thing. Read no, read what's on the box. Sure. Right? You know, you wouldn't go out and buy it, but it, but that's not when you send as a as a you know when you're releasing a game, you send a load of Steam keys out. You're sending to the room to reviewers, hoping that that's the kind of thing that they like, and it might not be. It might be they they go, oh yeah, go on, I will review it. No, not for me. But because you've not been able to kind of say this is this is the kind of thing you that I'm I've made in this you know it's intentionally like this for this kind of reason, you know. That's it. Just gets sort of marked as you know against whatever that person does or doesn't like, which is you know it's absolutely you know that's just the way the, the way the industry works. That's the way film reviews work, books reviews work. You know, it's reviews of any kind are always going to be down to personal opinion. But I do wonder whether I don't think it would ever be practical. But uh, it would be nice to be able to say this is this is this is this kind of game, and this is sort of like a, an adventure game kind of health card this is this is what to expect would be would be handy for for kind of players and devs to kind of mitigate people just being being wrongly paired with the wrong game 
Jack, I think that's something that we might want to look into in our reviews is to give it a difficulty grade or something. I, I think that's a I couldn't have thought of a better idea as to how, you know, this is what the, the developer's perspective is. This is what we were shooting for. Grade us based on that, you know, buy the game based on that. Well, it's certainly our policy to grade a game based on what it's trying to be, not what our expectations of it is. So that's already ingrained in what we're trying to do. That we've toyed with even having like a difficulty rating, but it's so subjective. It is, um, yeah. You know, and like even if we all agreed on what was hard or easy, um, you know, how, how do you grade the difficulty of a game that's mostly easy but has two really hard puzzles? You know what I mean? All like all of a sudden your rating system gets thrown out the window. Like, yeah, oh, except for the two times I needed the walkthrough, it was really easy. You know, it's <laughs> like okay, you're not being honest anymore. So. Like, there's just no real easy no, way. For no, a reviewer, it was, it was, no it was, a, it was a, a dream of an idea. But no, it was, it, but that's that's almost what you, you know, in an ideal world, that's what you'd be able to have so that no yeah, one yeah. would get paired with the wrong the wrong game. But it's, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, logistically, it's, it's but, always going to come down. It's going to be created by humans for humans, oh. and you are always going to end up with subjective subjectivity in it. That's yeah, I mean, like, we haven't abandoned the idea. We may still do something with it, but I'm just like explaining why it's not such a slam dunk to go. Oh yeah, let's just yeah, implement no, that. That <laughs> wasn't. I was like, no, like, no, I didn't mean that. that. Kind of, let's probably get people real, listening. Yeah. you know, I mean, like Ron Gilbert's created Putt Putt. He created that for children. He created Return to Monkey Island, and the difficulty level is not any different. So, it, I mean, think about it. That is annoying for someone who played all of the Monkey Island games. I'm going into that thinking I'm playing a, a difficult, especially when you have three modes of difficulty on it. I choose hard mode, and I have zero obstacles. It's basically just telling me the story I'm walking through because I know exactly what I'm supposed to do as I do it. You know, you're just telling me a story at that point. And to me, that's that's frustrating because I'm buying a game as what it has been sold in the past. Now, there's a different difficulty be level between a child's game, something that's pitched and sold to a kid and pitched and sold to an adult. But, uh, yeah, that's such a, this is a really interesting topic. Jack, did you have anything else to say about that? I, I saw yeah, you starting I, to talk. Yeah, yeah I, I, the one thing that frustrates me about so many games... Um, and I think sort of this is the one lesson that I wish developers had learned instead of just making, just taking puzzles out or making them too easy is learn how to clue better. There's like, there's got to be a way to layer clues in so that you have a sense if you're on the right track or not. Too many adventure games are all or nothing. You either figure out the answer or you have like, no idea if you're close or if you're, you know, barking up the wrong tree or anything. I, there's got to be a way to, to kind of layer in clues, not have more clues, like just so that there's so many that the solution is obvious, but to layer them in so that if you try something that isn't working but is along the right lines, that then opens up a different layer of clues. Are you talking uh, about I, like a hint system or are you talking about as the game progresses? No, I'm talking about making a layered hint system mm -hmm. the actual gameplay. Mm -hmm. Like you shouldn't have to click on a separate button to have a different um, suggestion. Oh, uh, you know, 
Well, like it, it wouldn't work exactly the same way, but there's got to be kind of a layering. Is where if, like, let's say if you try to solve a puzzle this way, mm-hmm. just trying it and getting no, that didn't work, is useless to a game, and it's frustrating. You go, well, was I close? Was that a good idea? And it just didn't work, or did I do it too soon? Or you know what I mean? And I wish if there was another layer um, of clues in there just to kind of give you a sense of where you are i you know i I haven't sort of honed the idea yet but i think there's something in there i don't think adventure games clue well doesn't that kind of go back to uh, uh, well the idea that perhaps an adventure the adventure games nowadays are not as well written as they used to be Uh, yeah but i don't that could measure be because they don't have the same type of staff that they used to, you know, or the game is largely indie devs or the genre is largely indie devs at this point. Yeah, I mean, it could be, but those older games didn't do that aspect of the game any better. It was just we were more understanding of hard puzzles then and, you know, we were more accepting of spending a long time on a puzzle. That's true. Which we aren't anymore, but I don't think they actually handled the puzzle itself any better back then. Um you know, again, I talk about the artificial difficulty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think there is a middle ground if if developers like like include puzzles, be brave enough to include puzzles, but find a way to to layer in your clues so that you're rewarding players for experimenting and having ideas. Um, I don't know. Hmm. I may have to make good. a game to figure out how to implement it properly. That was that was kind of my approach to it um so but then so in, in a few different ways so uh, most of the breadcrumb trails so i there were some that i'd put in there i'd say almost by the time i'd finished 90 percent of the layered clues that went in there were ones that were added after or during the testing period so when people try the things that you, as a developer, it's it's almost impossible to think, unless you write a response for absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then you're not necessarily thinking, well, the reason they used that with that is because they were trying to solve a puzzle like like halfway through the game. It's only when watching people play and you go, oh, you know, and you're, you're literally, especially when you watch people kind of streaming a game, mm-hmm. they'll go, oh, well, I know I need to do this and I need to go that right. I need to go and get the, go need to go and get the ladder and go, shit i forgot about the ladder mm-hmm. you know and all of a sudden you know they go right okay so now i'm make, i'm there watching like every time i'm watching people play it's like make a note of that make a note of that make a note of that and we were in a kind of a a, a very lucky position because um my wife emma does the, the the main voice of of our kind of protagonist so if i want to set up our vocal booth and send her off into the spare room say i need you to record another 10 lines we can do that but that is it, we, I mean, we've got over eleven thousand lines of of text in the game. So when that's that's the kind of the level of detail that you, I feel you kind of. I mean, oh yeah, we've got loads of unnecessary like jokes and puns and stuff in there that don't need to be in there really. Um, but in terms of the sort of layering, you need that level of detail in order to be able to anticipate. You know, I mean, everyone plays differently, and everyone's brain works differently. You know, I, in the demo, we had the amount of the amount of people who tried to. There's a glass of milk. You have to warm the glass of milk, and, and like so many people, it's like, oh, I want to put it on top of the fish tank. I, like, I don't even thought about the fact that fish tank would be warm, or like they put it on the washing machine. I mean, mm. it's like, so there's all these different things that 
that those are the places where you put the breadcrumb. Those are the places where you're going to kind of go, oh, no, I can't do that. Maybe I should do this or I'd need to do something a bit more, something, you know, and kind of yeah. frame it in a way that makes them kind of go, oh, I need to sort of think of it in a slightly different way. And that, But that comes with, if you're just doing a kind of text only puzzle, you know, puzzle game, fine. It is more work to do that, obviously. Um, but I, I agree. I think that that la layering of clues is is absolutely how you find the right balance yeah you put you put too many obvious clues in there it becomes too easy you put too few in there it becomes moon logic you uh, you fill in the gap between the two with this sort of gray area that covers the whole sort of narrative this sort of film of little bits of advice and little sort of things just going here that just sort of push you in the right direction so what um, about like adding in some sort I, and we're I, we're going a little long and I, I, I want to, this is just such an interesting topic so I, I appreciate it if, if you allow and indulge me just a few more minutes here what about adding in a, a fail-safe type of situation as an example in in Leisure Suit Larry you don't even realize that there is it's telling you what to do Leisure Suit Larry 7 like for instance you know if you're kind of going about doing the same thing over and over again you'll get a little announcement on the PA with a, a little clue, you know, that's you, whether you're consciously or subconsciously hearing it or something, it's planting that little seed in your head. What if you, if it's constantly trying to mix or something, then have the, the character say something along the lines of, uh, say something about, hey, you're going in the wrong direction type of thing. Maybe, uh, you know, add a little, an obvious clue in that way. Is that difficult or to, uh, it's not done very often. Let me ask you. Yeah, it kind of depends on the the structure of the puzzle. So in some puzzles, it's very easy to, you know, detect when an action is being repeated. Mm -hmm. But then also some things are what feel like they're being repeated to the player. Mm -hmm. Like, they, well, I'm trying to use and look at and, and things like, you know, whatever. I'm trying to interact with all these things around this area. And that feels like I'm spending a lot of time doing something repetitive in this area. But I, or, or on, I found all of the... I know I need to do. Maybe I need a. I think I need a piece of broken glass to cut something. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna try this on every single window in the whole town, you know. And that's you know. And that would feel like a repetitive thing. And you know, if you watch someone play, you kind of go, oh, I could. I could build in a, a failsafe that sort of you know guides them in the right direction for that. But that that might you know might just be one or two players that try that. It could be other people who think something completely different. So it depends if there are puzzles that are very obviously. You're trying. You're almost. You're trying to brute force something, and it's kind of obvious in the way that the the code is working that it can kind of it can kind of tick and go right. I, I I make a little note of that one, two, three, four. Right, they've done this enough times now. I'll I'll give them a bit of a clue. But not not everything. It depends on just how the puzzles are structured. Mm -hmm. When I mean, you know, there's so many different kinds of puzzle. There's musical puzzles. You know, I mean, dialogue puzzles, fetch quests, everything. It's it's, a, it's and I suppose that's where the, the hint systems that you're seeing now are born out of. They were born out of a kind of, well, we can't kind of catch every sort of situation where a failsafe might be needed. Therefore, let's just let the player decide when mm -hmm. they've had enough and they can go, right. And then they, you know, they'll see something contextual and say, all oh, right, I can see what I need to do now and, and, and kind of get a bit mm -hmm. of a, a kind of a nudge in the right direction. Um, but then, it, but I, I always, I always feel like it's one of those. It's like when you look at a walkthrough and they're like, you kind of, 
you sort of you go, oh, can I can I see a hint? Can I see a hint? Can I see? I want to see half the hint. It's like, oh no, no, no! As soon as you see it, you kind of wish you hadn't seen it. You know, and it's it's re- it's a it's a it's a hard thing to do, and you never know when with a hint system whether it's going to be it's going to reveal everything, or it's it, or like, it'll just tell you. Well, I I knew that, but I didn't know that. But I only knew that. I didn't know. I wanted. I didn't want to know all of that. I just wanted to know that bit. And it's it's very hard. You know, it's it, everybody's everybody draws the line somewhere different for that. It's kind of like the end of a chapter in a book where something really exciting is happening. And you know when you're going to see something that you don't want to, you put your hand towards the bottom of the chapter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so you don't actually yeah, see the like, like, yeah. Oh, 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 oh I, saw, I saw a word there. <laughs> yes, yes. So this is this is great. Jack, do you have any anything else to add to this before we go on to the next segment? No, I just want to say that Tom touched on mm-hmm. my last point, which I harped on before, is do more playtesting. Mm. Not beta testing. Adventure game developers are pretty good at beta testing, but they don't. I don't think they do enough play testing. And I don't mean have a few friends play the game and report back, but like as Tom does, like watch them play. Find out where your, you know, where your bottlenecks are and where people are, you know, cruising through that you thought, oh, this might slow them down a bit. Like look for the te- see the tendencies for yourself, so you'll know you know, where the issues are in between what you intended and what the player is experiencing. You're never going to get them all because, you know, everyone's experience is different. But the only way to learn is to see people actually playing your game. So it's crucial. Yeah, when I when I took the demo of, of Lucy Dreaming 2, I took it to three different conventions all within like a week period back down just early in, in kind of March this year. Um, and that was just the best way of, of seeing because you're not you're not you're not just seeing what people are trying. You're seeing you're, you're seeing what they're missing. You're seeing stuff that they're trying, and you're also seeing what their reactions are. So, mm. what kind of jokes are falling flat, or yeah. you know, what are they smiling at this? Are they looking frustrated? Are they are they just looking around? Are they going where where's you know where's where's the husband gone? Or you know what I mean? It's like oh, I mean, do I look stupid here? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so it's it's that it, it was, and I, I I honestly think that I took so many lessons from that, and then worked them back into a lot of it into the UI as well, into just the sort of general kind of just the just trying to make it smoother, trying to make you know trying to just just smoothing over the cracks and polishing stuff, um, but also just lesson lessons learned. Like I can't you can't do that kind of thing because people just get stuck and they just don't. Mm-hmm. You can tell they they don't like it. So just you know, and it, I suppose a lot of I spent a lot of time when I was polishing the final version of, of the game as well. I ended up adding a lot of automating a lot of things. So there were there were things where you'd have to do something and then use something and then do something else in order to kind of act these this sort of this sequence out. Mm-hmm. And about that point. I, I was pretty confident the game was long enough. So it was like, I don't need to be putting any of this kind of stuff to artificially lengthen it. So I'm going to automate that because it's obvious what their intention is from the first point. They know, they, you know, they, they're using a, a fish on a, you know, a <laughs> whatever, you know, you, they've got it. They've, they've, they've ne- they know what they're doing. They're not just trying that randomly or if they are fine, you know, but that, you know, they, they, they've got the intention. Therefore let them, let, let that, you know, let that sequence play through. There's no point in then going, oh, well, hang on, I thought something was going to happen. And then they wander off because they didn't realise they then had to pick up the fish and do it again or whatever it was, you know. 
I, don't, I haven't even got, there wasn't even a fish, but you know, whatever it is, that's, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I ended up smoothing over a lot of those things that were unnecessarily sort of stepped and didn't, and didn't need to be. And, I, and although it will have shortened the game slightly, it made the whole narrative and the whole, the whole sort of thing much, much smoother. I think we could do three or four shows worth of, of dialogue on this on this topic. It's something that's it's interesting and and also needed. But so yeah. let's go ahead and move on a little bit into the next. This is going to be a whole lot of fun. As if that wasn't fun enough, we're going to talk about five franchises plus one that we would like to see converted into an adventure game. There's been some great ones that uh, have been come over the past fifteen years. Let's talk about one set that we would like to see out there. And Tom, since you are the guest, you're going to get to go first. Well, you asked, I, you, I saw you asked this on Facebook as well, mm-hmm. so, and I replied to that. I did a little, little comment there. So I'm going to go with what my comment said as well, mm-hmm. um, which was um, it, there's, a, there's a, a, a graphic novel slash comic series by a guy called uh, Luke Pearson um, called Hilda, and which has also now been turned into a Netflix series as well. Ooh. Um, which is, I can just thoroughly recommend. It is wholesome and funny and brilliant and just hugely creative, as are as are the um, the kind of the, the graphic novels that, that it was all based on. Hmm. Um, but it's a beautiful um, kind of almost Scandinavian troll, almost like almost like kind of Icelandic sort of setting with giants and trolls and these and kind of elves and, and creatures in it. Um, but it's also very, very funny. The humour in the, probably more so in the series, in the Netflix series than the, the than the comics, is a is a, mm-hmm. is quite British sort of humour as well. So it's a, it's a British kind of voice cast. Um, I, actually, I don't know. Maybe 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 it's only a British voice cast in Britain. I don't know. But I, mm. as far as I know, it is. Um, and that for me, I obviously resonates. Um, but it's uh, it's beautiful, it's brilliantly written, and it's absolutely stunning as well. The um, the quality of the animation in it, and the quality of the um, the artwork in it is is beautiful. Very much lost in play. Going back to that again, very much reminds me a very similar aesthetic um, in terms of the, of the creatures and the, um, the even just down to the kind of the, the kind of the color tones and things that are used. It's absolutely beautiful. And when I've been watching that. Um, with with my family, mm-hmm. I, I've many many times I've been going thinking this would make an amazing adventure game because the <laughs> stories and the characters are so unique and so you know original and and unexpected the kind of turn twists and turns that they take it would it could you know you wouldn't want to obviously replicate exactly the same story that's in the show because then you know essentially you're just going through the motions of, of that but that the the formulas that they've obviously used for you know for the kind of writing uh, writing the story and and hmm. the, the kind of the dialogue in it would just be I'd love to interact with it. Well, I'm going to have to look that up tonight. Actually, Hilda H I L D A, huh? H I L D A. It's so much fun. I love it. <laughs> Jack, mine. My first one probably would have been far more relevant about ten years ago, but I'm going to go with Harry Potter. Hmm. Um, there was like an actual like sort of kid like uh, action adventure series back then, but they were very simplistic mm-hmm. with you know duels and silly mm-hmm. stuff like that. It was just like not not good games. So, but I think there's like what a what a world to tap into, and 
just Hogwarts itself is a puzzle to be solved. I, I think there's like a ton of gameplay potential to be mm-hmm. tapped in, in the world of Harry Potter. So I think that'd be fun. That's a, that's actually a great idea. And I've, I know that there's been a couple action style, like RPG games and everything, but I don't think they can tell the story like quite like an adventure game could. Well, I think uh, when I think of an, of an adventure game, the first thing that pops in my head is like going out and finding treasure, going out and uh, and having an adventure. I think of Indiana Jones, that type of a thing. And as I mentioned, I, I probably wrote down 40 or 50 things of this because I was going to do a YouTube video about this like two or three months ago. I can't, I couldn't think of any of them like the last few days, <laughs> but um, National Treasure, I know was number one on my list. It's just everything that I would want to to see in a in a game. It's everything, yeah. puzzle solving, going around, jotting around the world. You know, there's a there's a love interest, but it's not an overt love interest. It's just a, it's a perfect story, especially number one to to base an adventure off of. Can't argue with that. Tom, what's your next one? Um, again, this is this is one that I I've often is it's my my favorite book of mm-hmm. all time, and also my favorite. Um, film of all time, and somebody else said it as a um, as a comment under under the same thing on Facebook. And as soon as they said it, I went, "Yeah." I sort of thought to myself, "Yeah, that's I should have said that." Um, and it's the the Princess Bride. Uh, and my wife said I know that. Was, sorry, that was my wife who said that. <laughs> I didn't. I, I, just, I saw it was another Cleveland, but I didn't yeah. know if it was <laughs> it was your wife or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the I don't know if you if you kind of read the book as well, but it's it's it's. I, I read it about twenty odd years ago, and it's still it's stuck with me so much. It, I, it's so kind of meta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautifully, beautifully written, um, and it's so much fun. And it's as, it's as, it's as, it's. I, I feel it's better than the film, and I love the film an awful lot. And I know there was a um, a Princess Bride game that kind of came out uh, a while ago. I don't. I've not been able to find much kind of footage of it. It seemed to be just kind of a series of little puzzle things mm-hmm. rather than like an adventure game particularly. But I feel like as an adventure game, there are so it's it's literally written like like a like a video game anyway. I don't know whether that's just partially down because of the down to the the way that it's the way that it's kind of set like in the in the book in a sort of meta way. Um, but it's um, yeah the way the puzzles and the, just the characters and mm-hmm. like you said this kind of a, you know the, this treasure and adventures it's, it's got swashbuckling it's got you know what I mean it's got it's full of just cool stuff. I never knew that that was a book up until a couple a couple months ago. I was saying I was going down a list and I I actually found I found out about the book and I looked into it and I heard there's so much more in the movie oh, wow. like when they go into like the lair to try to. Um, to get uh, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts or whatever his, whatever his yeah, name yeah, is, I can't yeah. think is they have to go down and there's like all these different levels oh, of, uh, of yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I've I've been uh, I've been meaning to actually pick it up, go to the library or something to, it, to read. I, it. I can't recommend it. When mm-hmm. you read it, mm-hmm. you'll kind of go, "What? <laughs> this isn't what I was expecting at all." It's it's honestly it's 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 a complete. It's a beautifully layered thing it is re- it is really meta it's a book about a book and it's just genius and it's, <laughs> but it's written by william goldman yeah. who who wrote the screenplay for the princess bride um, <laughs> and like many other 
you know, the fantastic film awesome. as well, brilliant screenwriter, but he wrote the book as well. So obviously the, 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 ad, the film adaptation was, um, was, was obviously very, very sympathetic to that. But the book is, huh. you know what, I want to go and read it again now. It's genius. It's absolutely genius. Jack? I'm going to go with one that won't seem very adventure when I first say it, and it didn't strike me that way at first either. But then I thought about it more, and I went, you know what? There's a lot of potential there. And that is Better Call Saul. Okay. So, um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's obviously be a very character-driven um, game. But, I mean, I'm, I miss the series already. I, uh, it wrapped up its, was it six seasons, I think? Mm. And just amazing, amazing show. But, uh, but I mean, he's, he's a lawyer and he's a scoundrel, so there could be lots of, <laughs> again, I, I look for sort of gameplay segments, not just a great story. So I think there's sort of lawyerly potential there, but also sort of the con artist side. So I, I think there's potential for some um, fun gameplay. But... The one caveat is it must have Bob Odenkirk for uh, voice acting or else the whole deal is off. I mean, Isn't that odd how, you know, you watch something like that and if they change one little aspect of especially like such a prominent oh. voice or something, it's it's not the same. They cheated on you. Yeah, you know? the, the whole deal is off if mm -hmm. uh, Odenkirk isn't in it. Well, for my last one, um, I wanted to choose one of the greatest books of all time, The, the Count of Monte Cristo. However, I decided to choose my, my actual favorite book of all time, which is very, very similar. It's a book called Fair Blows the Wind by uh, Louis Lemur. And it had everything, you know, he's known for cowboy Western types of books, but he created a pirate book. And this book is about, it's all, so his father gets killed. And so he devotes his life to improving, finding the greatest like sword masters and everything and improving his skill with the sword because he wants to take vengeance on this uh, character named Rafe Leckenby, which also manages to be like a prolific and um, swordman himself and fierce pirate and, and also a nobleman. And so the whole book is just, you know, you go from, location to location in like the late 1700s you deal with cannibals you have to handle all of these situations and finally it's you have a a, a a show off with each other that you could it just leads so perfectly into it and um i think it would create like a, a wonderful intro to the adventure game and lead anticipation the whole way into the end so a climax and so fair blows the wind Awesome. Guys, I want to thank you, Tom, for, for joining us today and giving us an hour and a half of your time. Awesome. <laughs> it, it just went like that. It did. Man. And obviously, awesome. once again, Jack, always a, a pleasure to, to speak Me with too. you. What do we got going on this week at Adventure Game Hotspot? Uh, yeah, full week of uh, reviews again coming up. I think first up is... Uh, the case of uh, the Golden Idol, which fans of Return of the Ogre Din will very, very much want to read. Uh, we've got a review of another FMV, uh, gameplay light FMV um, game called The Gallery. And Friday's still kind of up in the air. If, if the stars align, hopefully we'll have a review of that super easy game, Return of Monkey Island. Uh, but... Uh, if not, maybe the t uh, new tales of the Borderlands or something like that. Lots, lots in the in the works. Anyway, 
Tom, tell everybody where they can find the game and you. Oh, me. Uh, so I am uh, Tall Story Games on pretty much every social media channel. It's just, you know, Tall Story Games, all one word, on Twitter for as long as that lasts, um, Instagram and YouTube, Facebook. Um, and then the game is currently on Steam and the Apple App Store on iOS and Google Play for Android as well. Um, and we are currently working on a Switch port, and also it sh it has been accepted onto the GOG store as well. So that we are congratulations of getting that uploaded to GOG actually, hopefully over the next sort of couple of weeks as well. So yeah, it's and it's on it's on itch.io as well. So yeah, it's it's all over the place. But, yeah, <laughs> you can find it. Do a search for it; it's everywhere. <laughs> And Jack, tell them where they can find us. Oh, you tune into our website, at, which is just past its one-month uh, anniversary, by the way. I can't believe it's been uh, that long. But uh, at AdventureGameHotspot.com for reviews and trailers and new game announcements and a whole lot more. And guys, I wanted you to do us a favor and go over to YouTube you will find this podcast and all of our other, well, I shouldn't say all of them, the last three past podcasts over on our YouTube website. We have it for Adventure Game Hotspot on YouTube. So you can find that. It'll also be in the show notes. And if you listen to this on podcasts, like and rate it five stars if you liked it. If not, rate it five stars anyways. Uh, for Tom, for Jack, I am Joshua. We appreciate you all, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Take care.